Hey, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports, and it's now uh, Thursday, October 8th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined today, as usual, by my colleagues Matt Norlander and Sam Vecini. It's been a pretty wild couple of weeks in college basketball, first because of the NCAA announcing its sanctions against SMU, then because of an explosive book detailing allegations rooted in the idea that a former Louisville staff member guy named Andre McGee, allegedly secured prostitutes for Louisville players, recruits, and sometimes even recruits family members. So yes, we are going to talk about the CBS Sports All-America teams, and we are going to talk about Scala Bissier's eligibility issues, uh, but let's start with the mess at Louisville, and let's start with the uh, development that I broke earlier today, which is this, Jaquan Lyle, the freshman at Ohio State who was initially committed to Louisville, visited Louisville in June of 2013. He met with the NCAA earlier this week, and I'm told that he told an NCAA investigator, quote, the truth. He confirmed for them the gist of the allegations that were made in the book published uh, last Friday night by a self-described madam named Katina Powell. Uh, For folks who haven't read the book, um, the allegations concerning Lyle is essentially that Andre McGee uh, arranged a, quote, show uh, featuring four dancers slash prostitutes um, on, uh, during you know, Lyle's unofficial visit to the school. And in subsequent text messages, um, she confirmed, uh, or, or text messages between, allegedly between her and Andre McGee, uh, you know, confirmed that, that the show did actually go down the way it was uh, supposed to go down. So, um I've had some people already on Twitter ask, exactly what did he confirm? Um, I was just told that the gist of the story, um, he, he said yes. Like, what, you know, uh, were, was there a party? Yes. Were these girls there? Yes. And so the gist of the story, the gist of the allegations against Louisville, um, as they pertain specifically to Jaquan Lyle, um, were confirmed uh, by Jaquan Lyle. And uh, just so people understand the situation he was in, um, the, one, the way the NCAA operates is that they will go to anybody that's still under their jurisdiction, that's still a student athlete, that they feel like they need to talk to, and they will essentially grant um, immunity in exchange for honesty. In other words, tell us the truth and you're cool, lie and you're done. This is what they did with Aaron Kraft years ago to get Bruce Pearl, and it is essentially what they've now done with with Jaquan Lyle, and I assume also have done with Antonio Blakeney. We do know that the NCAA has spoken with Blakeney as well. He's also a former Louisville recruit um, who's now a freshman at LSU. So I say all that to now say this. Sam, I know you stayed up late Friday night reading the book just like I did. Uh, your thoughts on that and on um, you know this latest development, which is Jaquan Lyle appears to have confirmed um, that these, this behavior, at least on his recruiting visit, did go on. Yeah, you know, uh, the the book Breaking Cardinal Rules was a nice breezy read at the bar that I was at to watch the AFL Grand Final. So <laughs> I just had to do it, you know. It was just there for the taking. Uh, it was it, – it's it, – it, there's so much detail in the book that I kind of thought this was inevitable. Y- you know, like there are some very large holes. You know what I mean? Like th- there's never really like any detail on – uh, or, or like photos necessarily, or uh, there's never any detail saying how they went about confirming uh, that, you know, Andre McGee's texts are their 
or his texts to Katina Powell. And uh, so, so like there are some holes, you know what I mean? But you know, it's just so detailed and they do have the photos uh, that, you know, show these girls with uh, college basketball players like, uh, you know, maybe you can, I, I won't name names having thought second about that. You can go read the book for yourself, but I, it's just very hard for me to look at that book and read all of that information and be like, yeah, none of this is true. So uh, this was kind of inevitable, inevitable to me, given that uh, guys like Antonio Blakeney and Jaquan Lyle were involved because the NCAA can just, you know, throw the hammer down on those guys and uh, threaten their eligibility and really threaten their chances of going to the NBA at that point. So uh, it's it seemed like an inevit- inevitability to me, uh, I would say, is basically my only uh, my only reaction to your story this morning. Uh, Norlander, did you read the book? I have not read the book. I mean, I've I've seen plenty of excerpts. You've been ranking three hundred. In fairness to you, you've been busy ranking three hundred and fifty-one college basketball teams. So uh, I found time to read the book too. That's, that's <laughs> right. everyone. And still that's found a teaser, time. by the way. That's a teaser for uh, something we might talk about next week. But I listen. I've probably read or looked at what I would guess to be twenty percent of the book because it's not a long book. It's like a hundred pages, and a lot of screenshots were shared online so i've seen a lot there all right so a couple things one consider the fact that a pulitzer prize winner attached his name to this book okay that's the most prestigious award in all of writing and journalism uh dick katie and while the source of the information the you know the the madam at at hand here is not uh (laughs) her motives might be any number of things, but obviously money being the, the most predominant one. For a journalist to do this, uh, of, of his established credibility, to me instantly made this a big-time deal. Um, there's also criminal yeah, I mean, charges. That, that's, that's an important point that I think it might is. get lost on people yeah. outside of journalism. Like, this isn't some book written by Katina Powell and she just threw it on you know everybody's Kindle. Um, a Pulitzer Prize winner, which is as good as it gets when you're in our profession, um, not only put his name on this, but he put his name on this after investigating it on his own for six months. That yes. lends a certain level of credibility that otherwise without, wouldn't without be Without a doubt. Right. Yes. And mm-hmm. he's even said he's been on uh, he's been interviewed plenty of times since the book came out. Yeah. And he's even said things to the extent of like, all right. Even if you want to say he believes everything in the, in the book that he put his name to is true, obviously. He's like, even if you want to be the most pessimistic person and discredit 90% of it, even the remaining 10% right. is egregious, yeah. unacceptable, law breaking, NCAA rule breaking. There is, at this point, I mean, you would have to be the most ardent Louisville supporter to believe that all of this is pure fabrication. There is simply too much there, there to believe that to an extent this was happening. So we need to accept the premise mostly that this, that this happened. Okay. We have, we have too much information here and too many stories to suggest otherwise. Now the question becomes, okay, who really knew? Because that's a separate issue because it's harder to prove who knew what and when, when you might not have specific evidence of that stuff. Obviously Rick Pitino, this was such a big deal that the news breaks, last Friday, and Louisville scrambles to the point where they hold a press conference with Patino on the first day of practice. The AD isn't even on campus. He's 
in South Carolina for the football game, but they're literally holding a press conference with the AD on a speakerphone, and poor Kenny Klein, the school SID, one of the best SIDs in college basketball, is, is playing the middleman to the media. It was a very bizarre scene, but when you see a school respond that quickly, that fast, it tells you something. It wasn't a press, yeah. it wasn't a press release. It wasn't a delay thing that came Saturday morning. No, this broke, and within 90 minutes, Louisville had basically got its its horses in order and, and started to go on, not necessarily defensive, but certainly um, some damage control to the best of their ability. Did Patino know? I've talked to a lot of coaches about this over the past week. In terms of, and coaches, by the way, they're I, they're just generally shocked, intrigued in this situation, and in so many ways. One because it's Louisville. Why would you ever even need to do this? You you know we've seen in college football how recruits will be tended to by uh, young women in certain ways. This is not necessarily new. Not that it's right, but it certainly has happened. Seventeen and eighteen year old recruits that go to campuses at big time schools. If people want them to have sex and they want to have sex for free, that. Could, will probably be, the opportunity will be afforded to them. Okay, this is not necessarily something that gets discussed a lot, but it does absolutely happen. So I say that to say, what is Louisville doing going with a paid escort service when that isn't even a necessary component? That's the one thing that's befuddling the most coaches, uh, most coaches overall that I've spoken with. Now, when did what did Patino know? When did he know it? And will he and should he lose his job over it? Because that's that's the becomes the the other major talking point is we spin this forward along with the ongoing NCAA investigation. To me, we have a, a post called The Three-Pointer that's up on CBSSports.com by the time you're reading this, and we address this question in it. You guys suggest that Patino shouldn't or won't lose his job. To me, I go the other way here because to me, it's it's a situation where you cannot PR your way out of this. This is something that is so unprecedented massive and when you consider patino's past you know it's an unfortunate coincidence but he has his own sex scandal that he's attached to that still lingers with him to this day i don't see how louisville could comfortably go on with patino and i know we're in the middle of it and it's just happened and it's an explosive story and these things can tend to dissipate i believe that we have enough information here that rick patino will at most be coaching at Louisville two more years, depending on how the NCAA thing plays out. I just don't think he necessarily will survive this. I'm not saying he'll be fired. I think he will step down. That's my prediction. But you guys have different thoughts on this, right? Well, I I don't have a prediction on it. I mean, I could certainly envision that scenario. I I guess I just struggle with this. Well, let me me state the obvious first. Um, If he ordered this, signed off on this, or was even generally aware of this, and by this I mean a staff member uh, securing prostitutes for players and recruits, uh, clearly he, he should be uh, no longer coaching at Louisville or anywhere else. That's a, that is a fireable offense. Uh, that said, at this moment, there's no evidence that he knew, or that he ordered uh, signed off on or knew about this. It's not written in the book. It's not suggested in the book. Now, subsequently, Katina Powell has come out and said, um, you know, subsequent to the release of the book, she's come out and said, I, you know, I think Rick Patino knew. When I talked to Andre, he seemed to suggest that Rick Patino knew. And he said some. Uh, she said that he said something to her like, "Rick knows everything." Right. That right. goes on with the program. Right. And um. So, like, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and take her at her word for 109 pages and then be totally dismissive of that. I'm just saying there's no, there seems to be no evidence of that at this moment. 
and it wasn't written in the book and it wasn't suggested. And if, if it is not proven that Rick knew, um, I just have a hard time. Listen, I, if, they, if he was forced to resign, I wouldn't be the guy writing the column saying Rick Pitino has been wrong. They should have stood by him. Like, I won't go there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm also not going to write the column later this afternoon that says Rick Pitino must go because it's happened on his watch. Because if it was truly just one wild, rogue staff member, um, I get it. You, you, could, you could certainly get away with, with making a coaching change. But I, I don't know. I, I, they're going to go that route, guys. I mean, they're going to basically pin it on McGee and, and go with the rogue staff member. I think it will be a, a continual problem for Louisville if Patino stays on. I'm not, I'm kind of, well, GP, well, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Okay, I would not be surprised if he did. All right. But I just don't think, I think the mounting evidence, the cases we have, the former Louisville recruits who will and are speaking to the NCAA, I think there's going to be too much there that even if Patino didn't know, and I side with Patino didn't know. I, I believe that he was unaware of this. But I, the NCAA doesn't care about that, obviously. You know, we talked about this a little bit with our Larry Brown podcast in terms of it being a whole new universe in, in terms of responsibility and everything that happens at a program under a coach's watch falls on the coach. That's different from what Louisville will do. I mean, if the NCAA opts to punish Patino uh, in a certain way because of this, it's 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 going to be very interesting. And by the way, I will acknowledge the obvious. I got so many tweets when this broke saying that we jinxed Patino because literally on our last podcast, we had talked about how Patino had his own had his own sex scandal, but he had dodged any NCAA major issues. And less than 48 hours, this breaks. No, it really it. was. It's crazy. I, I know. Like, just so we're clear, what we said on last week's podcast was 100% true at the time. Um, but, what uh, kind here, of power do we have? I know, right? <laughs> like, if I, like, gee, so now it's, of the six active Hall of Fame coaches, um, Mike Krzyzewski is the only one who hasn't endured major NCAA uh, issues. Uh, Patino is no longer a member of that very small uh, club. Um, I guess I would say this. Um I'm just uncomfortable suggesting a man who might have been completely left in the dark should lose his job, particularly a man of Rick's stature. Um, again, if, if they choose to go th- that direction, I won't protest. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, just in the spirit of honesty, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm, just, I'm uncomfortable being the guy yelling that Rick Pitino should be fired. And it is kind of interesting. Nobody's written that column yet. You know, how many people wrote Larry Brown should mm-hmm. be fired, mm-hmm. Jim Beheim should yeah. be fired. Nobody's written the Rick Pitino should be fired column. And I wonder if it's because, A, nobody believes that, or B, um, I think media members, particularly national guys, they, they, like, I, I think, I mean, I'll just speak honestly. I like Rick Pitino. Like, I've known Rick for a long, long time, and I think most people like Rick Pitino. And I wonder if that doesn't play into it. I, I was a little surprised last Friday night. The story breaks. Um... They're holding this press conference while I'm like live on the radio, so it's just a, you know, a, it's just maddening. <laughs> then I get off the air, and it was my grandmother's birthday, and we were having like a big family get together um, for my grandmother. Like I had plans, and yet I had to go late because I felt like I ha- like this is the biggest story in college basketball. I have to write a column on it, and so I did. But like nobody else wrote columns on it. Like no, like none of the other major national outlets wrote columns on it, which I just thought was. Um, I don't want to say it was yeah, bad. Yeah, that was a little. I just thought was it was strange. Yeah, it took I, a while. Yeah, I thought it was strange too. Um, uh, so yeah. here's, here's that's, that's why Louisville, you know, or that's why you know, 
whoever had this dumped uh, the way it was on a what, what was it? It was probably five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. I mean, that's when you take out the trash. Sure. So there was a reason this came out when it did. And I think that what you're referring to is the exact reason uh, why it came out when it did. I guess um, I, I would also say this. Um, the problem with the rogue employee uh, narrative that I'm confident as well, or at least I, I'm, I, I think uh, is the one Louisville's probably going to try to use here, is that, uh, and this hasn't been written about too much, but Sam, I know you read it in the book. Toward the end of the book, there is um, a part where it's after Andre McGee is already an assistant at Missouri, Kansas City. So he's yep. not at Louisville anymore, but he texts with Katina Powell and essentially says, hey, they've got another recruit. I think this one was Antonio Blakeney. It was Blakeney. Right. Yeah. yeah, they've got another recruit coming in. Coach P really needs this kid. I need you to set up a show and, um, you know, meet somebody at, you know, Minority Hall and, and they'll, they'll have their money for you. And so she writes that she met with, with somebody else at Louisville mm-hmm. to get money from them. And she doesn't know who that person was. Um, but but it was somebody connected to the Louisville basketball program whom Andre McGee was working through. And so that, uh, if, if only the, that, yeah, that, the, that, that destroys the Andre McGee is the only person who knew about this because well, clearly somebody else that was still on staff or still connected to the program, I should say, after Andre left – um, was also aware. I, I was gonna, I'm going to say this too. You know, it, it's very clear that there has to be someone funding all of this. Yes. Because there's no way that McGee is funding it. I, I mean, was making you know, thirty five. Adobo, I'm guessing, yeah, making Adobo at Louisville, thirty five to forty would be my guess. Uh, yeah. In terms of yearly salary, so so it, it doesn't surprise yeah. me that there is someone else connected here. There has to be. The question is going to be whether or not. Is it another coach? Is it another staff member? Uh, is it, you know, a booster replacement is Dobo or is it a booster that, you know, you could still conceivably say is, you know, separated enough from the program and could easily slink back out of the limelight? Well, I, I would say just in general, not speaking about Louisville uh, specifically, just in general, if you're a former player like Andre McGee and mm-hmm. you're working at your alma mater like Andre McGee was, you probably already have a relationship with some big money booster people. Yep. And, and it really, as wild as this might sound to, uh, you know, the casual college basketball fan, or maybe it doesn't sound wild at all. Um, it, it, it's really not that big of a deal for an assistant coach to run to a, you know, a multimillionaire booster and say, Hey, uh, yo, I need, I need $3,000 for this weekend. We got a recruit coming in. We got some stuff going on. We're going to get this guy, but like that, that happens in college athletics. And, so the $10,000 number, which is the one Katina Powell throws out that she received from Andre McGee over a span of four years, I think that what gets lost in that is that it's, it's a big number, but it's a, big, it's a number spread over four years. It's 22 parties yeah. spread over four years. So it's basically one every other month on average and, and you know, a few hundred dollars here and there. I mean, like, like <laughs> I'm not really up to date on, on uh, prices for prostitutes, but, okay. but they seem low. To me, like that you could get this whole party done for like 350 bucks, like that seemed pretty low. <laughs> so, but, um, so it Which was maybe another anecdote in favor of Katina yeah. Powell, just because the numbers are so low. It's not like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I, would just, I would just say anybody, anybody who's read the book, um, unless you are just blinded by 
loyalty to Louisville. I don't understand how you could put the book down and go, nope, all bullshit. Like, I just don't see that. Like, it yeah. it, it reads. Right. It, there it, is it, there yeah. is still, and with that, set, so there's a, there's a common sense element to it. And then still, one, will Katina Powell talk to the NCAA? That remains to be seen. And, and there is still, in terms, there, there is a burden of proof. I still think that exists here with clear-cut communication. Show us the text messages on your phone. Show us picture messages where they might apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff that might not have even been in the book, or if it was, you know, we're going to need to see that anyway. Um, because it, while some of it is, it, you clearly you take away that this this stuff was being arranged. When it comes to hard evidence, I still think the NCAA is going to need uh, a lot of that in order to legitimately punish Louisville in whatever way that might happen or come down mm-hmm. the road. Um, it's it's different from what she puts in the book to what the NCAA will need. They're gonna need they're gonna need more, and they're gonna need her to talk. And who knows if that's happening? I would not be shocked whatsoever if certain people are trying to make moves to prevent that from happening in whatever financial means possible. Yeah, because my understanding is that the NCAA can't just take the book and and, and run off it. Like they right. they need Katina Powell to yeah, say they rec- they. Rec- they Gary, they document that they, they right. bring her in. There's a, there's an interview process. Everything is documented. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's their own little mini court system. So right. exactly. You're exactly right. They can't just use her book yeah. as, as sole evidence. It's why UNC, which had a legitimate third party investigation, oh, reopened its case. And the answer said, OK, this is good enough where we now have to do our own investigation over and get our own evidence and that's why the UNC thing has taken as long as it's right now. It'll also be interesting to see if Louisville's, you know, ultimately self-reports some of this. Like if they if they acknowledge um, hey, we don't believe everything in the book's true, but some of the stuff is is true. Like, you know, there's some belief in basketball circles that, you know, once Louisville wraps its own investigation, they will they will acknowledge uh, shortcomings and and honestly they would well, be they'd be wise to do that if they already know that other former recruits are acknowledging you know uh, transgressions to the NCAA you'd probably well, be, you're, you're always wiser to fall on it yourself as opposed to to bow up and, and try to fight if you're going to lose in the end anyway yeah I mean I think that's great and all but at this point I mean it feels like the NCAA is you know doing a very thorough investigation like regardless. So it's not like, you know, we're going to fall on the sword and maybe the NCAA will back off a little bit. Like, it seems like this is going to be a thing for the NCAA to chase down every little thing that they can. So I I don't know how self-reporting is going to help them here. Like, it feels like it's just going to be, you know, it's just going to be a thing that the NCAA is going to uncover everything. And, uh, you know, maybe some of it's not true. Maybe some of it is true. And if, uh, if, more of it's true than is not true, then there are going to be some significant uh, questions that need one, answered. One quick note before we move on, because I know we got this is a very news heavy podcast, but if you want to go really cynical, and if Louisville probably wants this thing t- to get moving here, this investigation, fall on its sword, say we won't, we'll take ourselves out of postseason yep. contention this season, because honestly, Louisville doesn't have yep. a great team. So do the Syracuse thing where. That's what I would do. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. No doubt about it. Without question, you're probably not a tournament team this season. If you are, you're barely in. I mean, there's no realistic chance that Louisville is one of the top 20 teams in the country, in my opinion. Not even close. So you do that. If if all the stuff is really mounting up against you in a hurry here, see if you can expedite that. Take the biggest hit this year and try and survive it beyond that. That would... 
honestly, if, if pragmatically, that's that seems like the route it should take. But we're we're still. I mean, we're not necessarily close to that just yet. No, um, but like you know, if you talk to anybody who's been through an NCAA process, Syracuse and uh, North Carolina is dealing with it right now. Um, the the waiting in and of itself is a penalty because uh, the uncertainty uh, puts a cloud over your program that um, that hinders recruiting in a magnificent way. Like North Carolina might have the best team in the country this year, but recruiting has been a struggle, you know, over the past year. And they lost Brandon Ingram specifically, according to Brandon Ingram, uh, because of the NCAA investigation. So there is a there is a motive uh, to actually you know self imposing and getting some of this stuff out of the way because the sooner it's over, uh, the better off you are, almost regardless of what the the penalty is. On the other hand, and I guess this is something Louisville would have to weigh: does acknowledging that some of this stuff happened, you know, force you to to move on your coach as well. And if that's the case, it, it, you know, mm-hmm. d- does Rick Patino have real motive to hurry this thing up? I, d- I don't know, but it's, uh, it's obviously a, a messy situation. And I'm sure this will not be the last podcast um, we use to, to discuss it in great length. But let's do move on uh, right now. Uh, we have our All-America teams uh, that we posted earlier this week. We went with Kyle Wilcher as the National Player of the Year. He averaged roughly, you know, 16 and 7 Last season, shot 47% from three-point range, uh, was the uh, leading scorer on a team that won 35 games. Because he's back and Saponis is back, um, they're a preseason top 10 to 15 team. So um, he's was really, really good. And Gonzaga, on paper, looks like they'll be really, really good again this year. And as I wrote, that's sort of the, the thing that makes a National Player of the Year candidate, at least in the preseason. Uh, on the first team with them, we had... Uh, Providence's Chris Dunn, Oklahoma's Buddy Hill, LSU's Ben Simmons, and Kentucky's uh, Scott Labissiere. So two freshmen there, one of whom hasn't been cleared to play yet. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, but this is something we also discussed uh, or, or wrote about in our three-pointer that, that's posting uh, today at CBSSports.com. But we can talk about it here as well. Who pained you to leave them off? Who did you hate leaving off? Who's going to make us look dumb in February for leaving them off a first team, second team, or third team? Uh, well, I'll, I'll hop in real quick here. The, the player that I, I think Demetrius Jackson is going to have an absolutely fantastic year and, and elevate Notre Dame to a level where this was obviously was a very good Notre Dame team last year, but it had an All-American Jerry and Grant. Um, I think he will play. I think he's going to have a superb year. I, I love his skill set. I love how tough he is. I think he's got a great pissed off demeanor to his game that mm-hmm. I enjoy. So I think he's just going to put up really good numbers and keep Notre Dame relevant and either a borderline top 25 team or a top 25 team, depending on time of the year schedule and all that stuff. So Demetrius Jackson is my pick. And before I can let Sam hop in here, I will say that this, I mean, there were legitimately 25 realistic candidates that we considered and could have put on 15 players worth of, th- yep. of three teams for all American. It was very, very, very hard. Year. Very hard. Yeah, wide open year, which has its pros and cons. But uh, yeah, Jackson at Notre Dame is my pick. Yeah, I think that that's a pretty fair pick. I think he's probably going to put up pretty similar numbers to the guy that uh, I it pained me to leave him off. I argued with you guys for like what had to be 20 minutes about, you know, just getting this guy on there somewhere. It was Yogi Ferrell at Indiana. Uh, I think that 
he had a terrific year last year. He's been terrific basically ever since he's been in college. You know, even that freshman year, he was the he was the maestro uh, of that, getting everyone involved in that Victor Oladipo, Cody Zeller team. Uh, and then he moved on to a heavier scoring role. And then last year he did both. He was actually named to the Big Ten uh, All-League team ahead of Mellow Trimble, who we have on the second team. Uh, and I think that Indiana, uh, you know, like that that's one of my – uh, teams that a lot of people aren't necessarily super high on, but like I think that's a top 10 team in the country, uh, especially talent-wise. They're going to have one of the best offenses in the entire country. I think that uh, if you made me bet on one team to have the number one offense in the country, they might be my pick. Uh, and he's the guy behind it. He can shoot. You know, He's a physical kid that can at least finish a little bit despite his size. He's a great ball handler, great passer. Uh, and he's tough, you know, it's just one of those kids that, uh, was pretty much always going to be a four year player in college basketball. And now that he's in his fourth year, uh, he's, he looks ready to blossom and be, uh, the leader on a top 10 team again. So I, that's the guy that I think is going to make us look pretty dumb at the end of the year. It wouldn't surprise me if he was a first teamer. The one that I wrote about is Ron Baker. Um, I hated leaving him off because, cause he's just, he's, you know, he's yeah. been a part of three straight 30-win teams. He is the reigning Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year. Um, he's a big-time scorer. He's a, a quality shooter. Um, you know, I, 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 it wasn't like we had to pick either him or Van Vliet because we could have put both of them on if we wanted. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we did go with Van Vliet uh, above Baker, and that did get some criticism, not necessarily going Van Vliet above Baker, but going other people uh, above Ron Baker. But I will say this. The more and more I thought about it late last night, as we were going back and forth on this stuff, I think Yogi Ferrell is the one who most likely to emerge as like – he, he could be a National Player of the Year candidate. Like if he's, yep. the, if he's the best player on a Big Ten champion, you know, by definition, you're a National Player of the Year candidate. And so – um, I, I don't know that Ron Baker will be a National Player of the Year candidate. I don't know if Demetrius Jackson will be a um, National Player of the Year candidate. I could see Yogi Ferrell becoming that big time score on a team that you know jumps into the top ten and 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 hovers around the top of the Big Ten. You know, gets a two seed, three seed in the NCAA tournament, maybe even a one. I mean, they are talented, like you said. I think he's the one. The one I hated leaving off most, if this makes sense, is Ron Baker. The one I think could make us look dumb. Uh, that's probably Yogi Ferrell. I agree with you. Okay, yeah. so can you now? You guys need to. Uh, I, I our player of the year is Kyle Wilcher. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a choice that I do not agree with, but we'll <laughs> certainly we'll certainly pub it out and push it out because that's the pick of the team. So Wilcher, a guy who is, in my opinion, extremely limited defensively, um, playing for Gonzaga. Who will be a top ten team ideally all year? But let's uh, let's give listeners the reasoning behind Wilcher, who, by the way, I will add, similar to how we had so many candidates for our all three All American teams, there really are a number of guys that you could take for a preseason All American. It's why if you listen to this podcast, you read the internet, you see the magazines, you're going to see at least four, if not more, guys, different guys picked as preseason All-Americans this year. So why Wilcher for us? Well, I'll go first on this, actually. Uh, You know, he's the guy that I've been touting for a long time. And I I will say this, that doesn't mean that I think he's the best player in college basketball. I think that the best player in college basketball this year is 
going to pretty clearly be Chris Dunn at Providence. I mean, that kid does it all. He averaged like 16 points, seven assists and six rebounds or something last year. And it's probably, he's probably going to up those numbers by a considerable amount because LaDonte Henton's gone and is going to take a lot of, uh, and Dunn's going to have to take a lot of his usage up. So I think that between that and the fact that he was the Big East defensive player of the year last year too, uh, Dunn is by far the best player in the country. The problem is that I don't know how, I mean, maybe his team makes the NCAA tournament just because he wills them there. Right. But that team is a small team that, uh, doesn't necessarily have a ton of talent around him. I do like, you know, Ben Bentel, their big guy. Uh, you know, they, they have a couple other guys that are interesting. Rodney Bullock or yeah, Rodney Bullock has been getting some pub this uh, off season and that's great. But like, it, it's just hard for me to see that. So Wilcher is my pick because I think he's going to have an incredibly efficient year. That's the thing that a lot of people don't recognize. Uh, he was not only a guy that averaged 17 points a game last year, uh, he did it on efficiency numbers that are just astounding. He had like a 63% true shooting percentage. Uh, just remarkable, remarkable efficiency uh, for a guy that puts up that kind of usage and is that big of a player in the offense. And I know that Gonzaga has a lot around him, so the teams can't necessarily double out on him. But it's still hard to knock down all those shots. And I think that with Wiltshire, you're going to see a kid – average like 20 to 22 points a game on just about that same efficiency and in a down year, which I think this is in college basketball. I think it's going to be a year that has a bit less talent than the past two years, especially whenever you had guys like Carl Towns, uh, Jolly Ol Okafor enter. And then two years ago and you had Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker. Uh, I think that that's enough uh, whenever you play for a top 10 team to get the, get the nod for player of the year. I agree. And you know, I think that's the difference, frankly, between he and Chris Dunn. If Chris Dunn were on a preseason top 10 team, I would have had no issue going with Chris Dunn. But um, we just don't know how good Providence is going to be. And throughout history, um, it is rare, really, really rare for somebody who's not on a top 25-ish team, NCAA tournament team, to actually be a national player of the year. So Chris Dunn is is hindered somewhat by... Um, by the just question marks, you know, surrounding his teammates and, and that basketball team. He, mm -hmm. if but if he gets Providence, like uh, you know, in the top twenty-five, and they hover around that most of the year, and he's putting up those big numbers that he put up last year, and, and there's no reason to think his numbers won't increase across the board, um, if only because Ladante Hinton's no longer there. Um, then yeah, absolutely, Chris Dunn could be a National Player of the Year candidate. But uh, I think the edge goes to Wiltshire, at least in my mind, because Gonzaga is supposed to be better. Um, significantly better. And I'll also note too that, you know, the same thing that we're talking about with Chris Dunn kind of applies to Ben Simmons as well. Uh, I'm really high on Ben Simmons this year. I think that in a vacuum, he's a better player than Kyle Wilcher, but I have no idea what that LSU team is going to look like. Uh, they have very little floor spacing and it's, uh, he's a guy that's going to require floor spacing to be effective. He's going to get out and transition uh, and he's going to want to find shooters and he's going to uh, need to find shooters in the half court too, because he's really not a great shooter great yet shooter. that's yeah. the one thing <clears throat> that's the one thing that he can't do right now so uh, I, i'm really high on him but again that's the same kind of thing uh and you may ask why we didn't take buddy healed right uh, and that Oklahoma, was fair uh, and you yeah. know that's that's a fair criticism sure you know what i mean so well i mean it's a fair criticism in the sense that we could have reasonably gone with buddy Hill. yeah I, exactly I, I don't think buddy Hill is, is necessarily like the clear-cut pick over cal wilcher uh, sure i would have been comfortable honestly with um, with Hill or Wilcher. By the time we got down to it, 
I was probably in my mind picking between Hill or, or, or Wiltshire. And, you know, those yeah. offensive numbers for Wiltshire are just off the charts. I mean, somebody tweeted a shooting chart from last season at me. I retweeted it so you can find it's it on my fire. Twitter. It, everywhere from every spot on the court. He was just unbelievable. The defense stuff does come up and I hear you. I'm not trying to pretend he's going to be a future, um, all NBA defensive team or even a future NBA rotation player. I mean, who knows, right? It, but I, I would say this. When people start talking about defense for college basketball players as it pertains to awards, it's like they, they I think folks sometimes apply it where they want to apply it and they yeah. ignore it when they want to ignore it. Like they, they will use it to rationalize a counter opinion, but ignore it in other spots. I, I would just remind you, Kevin Durant and Doug McDermott both were national players of the year recently. And, and and neither of them were good on defense. And the guy who, you know, was probably the most egregious, uh, you know, guy in this regard was Jimmer. Yeah, who, uh, I knew you were going there. was a disaster in every <laughs> regard defensively. But it didn't matter. He put up insane stats. You guys make, it's very, one. yeah, you make very but, solid And points. in the NBA, the, the, the runner-up runner for that, MVP in the NBA this past year was James Harden. Well, <laughs> I got issues with that overall. But in, in general, listen they're all fine points um i would say the the defense argument in terms of preseason might mean something because we haven't seen the production yet and other guys who would be considered for the award we're given to wiltshire are better defensive players and good enough overall all around i don't hate the pick i just disagree with it that's all so i felt like we should we should just hash it out here so yeah no we're we're the only we're the only outlet that's it we are the only outlet that's going to have Wiltshire as player of the year. So I, I, I do kind of like that as well. I like, I like who, being distinct and not running oh, with the herd. Who is, who's going to be the? Who is going to be named player preseason player of the year by most people? I would Hills? say probably Ben Simmons. Simmons, I guess, but I, I really like, it, you know, maybe someone will chart it. But I, I think it's going to. You'll have maybe some Heald, some Simmons, some Dunn, some Wiltshire. Uh, you might, you might even get a couple mellow trembles. You might get a tremble. You might get a page, although he's not valid in my opinion, but people you consider UNC, t- you know, the top team pages, yeah. you know, the guy on the team, he might get some love there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. If well, that, that, I, I think like last year there were, there were two choices, right? It was either you go Wisconsin's Frank Kaminsky or you go Duke's Jello Okafor. That's, you know, that you were going one, which two. by the way, uh-huh. ended up being the right, like a lot of times with player of the year, the feeling going into a season is generally genuinely correct. Like that was yeah. what we thought heading in, and clearly that's what it was by the end of the season. Clearly, yep, right. So, like I, I, I say that to say this season, I think you can reasonably go at least four different ways. You know, at least four different ways. And so, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's an obvious wrong answer any more than there's an obvious right answer. But I, I, I would disagree with anybody that tries to suggest it's crazy to have Kyle Wilcher as national yeah. player of the year. I think I think it's crazy to think that way. I want to wrap this up with some eligibility news um, concerning Kentucky's Skull LeBissier, who is uh, the projected uh, number one pick of the 2016 NBA draft. Um, we reported yesterday that he has not been cleared by the NCAA uh, yet. Doesn't mean that he won't be, um, but they are looking into a variety of red flags, uh, most of which I wrote about last November. This was always going to go this way. And I had um, I had even contacted Kentucky fish officials like a month ago uh, asking about Skull's eligibility and, and whether he had uh, been cleared because I was told that he hadn't. And they uh, I declined comment, and they also declined comment yesterday. But 
I've had a lot of people ask, and I, I would I would just answer it this way. Um, do I believe that his guardian was acting inappropriately and jeopardizing his amateurism? Yes, 100%. I believe that. Um, I've been told that. Um, it doesn't mean that anything awful happened. It does, or I should rephrase, anything in violation of NCAA rules actually happened. It doesn't mean something big enough to like really um, jeopardize his amateurism can be proven. Um, and so we don't know, but the NCAA is looking into all of this stuff. And my guess is, and it's an educated guess, but still just a guess, he will play college basketball. There's, you know, some people are, are, are oh, he'll never, see, he's never going to play for the Wildcats. I, I do think he'll play. Um, he might miss some games, like we've seen players in recent years, you know, whether it was Josh Selby or even John Wall, I think, missed a couple of his one season. Shabazz Muhammad. Shabazz Muhammad. Um, I, I, I think that is... I don't even want to say it's a likely scenario. I, I, I don't want to jump the gun on it. But um, I, I could envision a scenario where he's asked to miss some games for things that his guardian maybe did. But um, I do believe he'll, he'll be in a Kentucky uniform this year. Some people have asked, how could you make LaBissiera um, first-team All-American when he's not even going to play college basketball? I do believe he'll play college basketball. If I didn't think he was going to play college basketball, uh, we wouldn't have gone that direction. I, I do believe he'll be on the court at some point. And perhaps... Right from right from the start. That's well. I mean, Labissier and uh, Diallo at Kansas are the two right. major eligibility yeah. cases that are still hanging, twisting in the wind here. And I don't feel like we're going to necessarily have these things cleared up by the end of the month. I kind of thought Diallo would, but I don't. I mean, maybe it will. I don't know. I got no problem putting Scal on our first team and and going with that. I'm I'm trusting your intel here, GP, when it comes to this kind of stuff. And Kentucky's had this go both ways. I mean, Ennis Cantor never got eligible, uh, and he could have been, you know, potentially one of the five or ten best players in college basketball the year that he was actually at Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think one thing that's important to note about Cantor's situation is that it's he, totally different. I mean, yeah, it's he was overseas. Ruled, he was yeah. deemed he played pro. Like he it's a, not the same thing. He had a, he had a pro contract, and so I guess I would say this because I, I think sometimes that people people don't realize this: the list of basketball players who have been cleared academically but still been been ruled permanently ineligible is very 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 short you know it, it almost never goes that way because like you can accept like literally thousands of dollars of extra benefits during your recruitment and um and and still be cleared to play if you, you know, repay it to a charity and sit out a certain percentage of the games. That's the Josh Selby thing. The only issue you might run into is if a school cheated to get you. But it's important to note as well, I don't believe the NCAA is looking at whether Kentucky cheated to get Skull. Now, I think they probably look at everything, so maybe I should rephrase. But that's not the gist of this. To the extent that something might have happened, it it would have... Uh, probably been just Gerald Hamilton wilding out a little bit, you know, to, to, whether it's, I don't even want to speculate, but just, I, I don't believe that you're going to be able to find out that John Calipari and his staff cheated to get Scala Bissier. I'd never, you know, I, we'll, we'll see. I don't think that's really what this boils down to as much as, um, I've been writing about the Guardian for a long, long time, and he—he he, he was uh, his intentions were not always pure, and so um, that's why I say even if they find some stuff, uh, my guess is that um, they would just—it'd be a short suspension, 
of a certain percentage of games, repay some stuff to charity, apologize, and uh, and then play. So my, my guess is he'll be in uniform at some point. And it might even be from day one. Like, we might find out, A, nothing happened, or B, the NCAA can't prove it. Um, but uh, that's another huge story as we get, you know, about a month away from the start of the season. We're Whether, repping, man. Yeah. This has been, this been a really busy week. It has, really been, it busy. has been a busy, uh, busy week, like I told you guys before we even started this. Like, I got up at 3.30 this morning working on things, which is, uh, you know, now it's, uh, it's, it's a little afternoon Eastern. So um, I need a nap, but there's no evidence I'm going to be able to get one this afternoon. So uh, let's get out of here with that. And remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest episodes. So make sure to do that. And either way, we're going to talk to you again next week. Till then, uh, take care.